There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, everybody. It's another episode of The Hunting Collective. I'm Ben O'Brien. Today, I'm joined by the great... Latvian Eagle teaches me how to say the word Latvian in the podcast. So stick around for that. Giannis Batelis, and we're talking about bears. We're talking about bear attacks. We're talking about the bears in Latvia. Uh, We're talking about bear protesters. We're talking about um, bear personification, things of that nature. And then we're going to be joined in the interview segment. The interview portion of the show, we're going to be joined by Todd Orr. Todd Orr is probably the most... uh, at least in a modern sense, famous bear attack victim you'll ever hear from. So we have uh, Giannis Patelis, who has a lot of famous experience with bear attacks, and Todd Orr as well here on the podcast. We're going to get into some segments with Todd, uh, what's in your medical kit, and we're going to ask him uh, about his first rifle and other things, other firsts uh, the Montana native had. Before we get to the show, I want to talk to you about Federal Premium Ammunition. They are, uh, we, we announced First Light last week. This week, we're going to talk to you about Federal Premium, another new partner for the show. Um, and I've been shooting Federal Premium ammunition since I was, man, about 12 years old. Uh, I love the brand. I love the product that they make. And I'll be happy to uh, give everyone here the results of many pulls of the trigger uh, and many downed animals as a result. And especially... We're going to go on the Hunting Collective Turkey Tour, man. We're going to start that in a couple of weeks here. We're going to Texas. Uh, we're going to, we're going to do, of course, Montana, Wyoming, possibly Nebraska, definitely South Dakota. We're going to do a little uh, Oregon and possibly then back to Montana on the Turkey Tour 2019. So look for that for the rest of April. You're going to love it. And look for more uh, conversations and chats with and about Federal premium ammunition in the future. That's it. Hit it. I guess I grew up on an older road. A pedal to the metal, always did what I told. 
until I found out that my brand new clothes came second hand from the rich kids next door. And I grew up fast, I guess I grew up mean. There's a thousand things inside my head I wish I ain't seen. And now I just wander through a real bad dream. Or feeling like I'm coming apart at the seams. But thank you, Jack Daniels. Oh, no. All right, welcome to another episode of The Hunting Collective. I'm Ben O'Brien, and it is 4-9-19 today. This is a podcast about bears. And I'm joined by Giannis Patelis. Yanni. Morning, Ben. How you doing? I'm great. We are sitting in the Bozeman offices, Meteor offices here, and we're sitting on a table that has a bear rug. Has a, what do we call that, like a tablecloth? Uh, yeah, we're using it as a sound dampening device. Yes. And if you check, uh, check the Instagrams and you'll see the video we're going to put up, you'll see this table and this beautiful bear, which I believe was shot by one Stephen Rinella. That's right. That's right. I watched him shoot this bear. This bear was, we watched this bear. We think it was the same bear mowing down, uh, blueberries and other berries in British Columbia for, numerous days um the mount should have his mouth just full of bears blueberries and purple juice dripping out of it because what do you feel about like this if you could describe this mount this bear is i would say snarling yes his top lip is rolled back yeah his teeth are showing how do you feel about the fact that most bear rugs uh look like that i don't understand it that's how i feel about it because you, you I, feel... I have an idea of why they do it. You feel that the bear spends most of its life in other states of, like, other states of mind. Like, is this bear's ears are pinned back. Like, he's getting ready to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, the only time I think that a bear has to get into that is, like, when he comes against someone, like, another rival bear, or, you know, that's in its territory. This one's wandered into the rival bear's territory. Um, cause I mean, if it's a grizz, this dude's just running. Yeah. Unless, it, unless if it was a, she, this was a male, but if it was a, she, maybe she had cubs, she would st- stand and defend it and make that kind of face. But any other critter running around out there, it would just, you know, the other critter is going to run. Yeah. Yeah. And when we, wow, well, we wow. Didn't, he didn't, he never saw us, but he never would make that face at us. And he certainly wasn't making that face at the blueberries that he was eating. <laughs> no, he was more doing licking his he lips. He had his mouth open like that a lot, but it, yeah, he didn't quite have that grrr. <laughs> you feel like we just want to, it's probably just, I, I'm sure there's some history to why we do that. I'm sure there's some taxidermy lore as to why we, we display bears like that, or we just like to seem like we took down the tough beast. We should look into it, but no. When I I'm gonna kill bear one day, and uh, when I get the rug done, which will be very similar to this rug, I'm just gonna have uh, mouth closed and just have the rug kind of work into like its top. Yeah, just like a resting resting face, resting bear face. Well, yeah, but it won't even be like a taxidermy. It'll just be like a oh, the, more like, like a tan just tie. the hide is there. It'll have some form or shape to it, but yeah. All right. Well, we got a lot of bears, to, bear subjects to cover here, Yanni. So let's 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 get to it. And and today we're we're joined by. You'll hear later on in this episode an interview with Todd Orr, who I believe is was involved in maybe the most famous modern bear attack here in Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say you have some anic- an anecdote about that attack. Yeah. Well, Todd's done a few other interviews over the. He told know, me five hundred. He's done five hundred. He said, "I was like, how many times have you told this story?" He's like, oh, "I'm probably five hundred times." 
whoa. So I was like, so, so what we're, we're 501st person to hear the story. I feel very, well, but it's, it's a good one. It's well worth listening to again, but I had watched him do an interview. It was on YouTube and I, I listened to him tell the story. And then coincidentally, a few days later, a week later, I was on a plane and ended up watching the Revenant. And I felt like those guys, whoever made the Revenant, did an amazing job with the bear attack because I had Todd's story fresh in my head. And like the way that bear was working over Leonardo was very similar to the way that Todd Orr described being worked over. And it was, it sort of gave, it was like another level yeah. of intensity for me. And it was giving me a little bit of goosebumps. Cause I was like, damn, like that's exactly what Todd was talking about is like, yeah. This yeah. bear is on you. It's attacking you. And then he talks about it just kind of like test biting him yes. to see if he's still alive. Like the pressure of its jaws, the breathing in the back of his neck, the smelling him, the walking away, the, you know, the testing to see if anything else is around. It's, it's that way. Um, I've heard people criticize that the, that scene with Leonardo DiCaprio and the, and the oh, CGI really? bear. And I, I always, I thought as a piece of cinematic, uh, a piece of filmmaking that it was great. Uh, it get, certainly got me invo- it got me uh, drawn in so I don't know what the criticisms were but you're right I mean, there very much is uh, a lot of similarities and so hang on we're gonna talk to Todd later on but for now um, I think the first and most pertinent thing to talk about here is bears in Latvia what do you know <laughs> about bears in Latvia zero nothing nothing didn't even know they were there didn't even know they existed yesterday. yeah Nothing. I don't really have a whole lot. Like, as of um, last year, there's an estimated ten to fifteen brown bears that reside in Latvia. And I'm gonna correct you a little bit on your pronunciation because somehow oh. it, it happens often, but it sounds like there's an F when you pronounce Latvia, and it's with a V. So what, what am I saying? Latvia is Latvia is, is, is what the I'm country. saying. Yeah, I'm saying Latvia. Yeah, there you go. Latvia. There, you, yeah. Who put a question mark on the teleprompter? Uh, Latvia. Latvia. You got it. Is it Latvia? Like latte? I mean, if you were in Latvia, you would say Latvia. If I was in Latvia, I would say Latvia. 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 All right. This is probably pretty entertaining. Latvia. You is that right? It. You is got that it. it? Okay. Got it. There's 10 to 15 brown bears. Um, it's a protected species there. And... Uh, there was one found dead on a beach in Western Latvia uh, last year in June. Really? Yep. It had evidently drowned after making it too far into the sea. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And but there's no you couldn't find a story about a mauling. In no Latvia. mauling. That would have been the perfect. I would, that would have been great. That would have been perfect. But I couldn't find or any that. sort of no grizzly accidents. No incidents. Nothing. Nothing. Wow. This is. I'm gonna try. Okay, there's a, a national park where this bear was found. It's it's called. Boy, I'm not gonna Slitere. No, that's not. I can't be it. S L I with a line over it. T E R E National Park. The the long I makes like a E E sound. Oh, okay, so it's E. So Slitere. 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 Latvia. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever been to that national park there, Yanni? No, I've never been to Latvia. Oh, all right. Yeah. Very, well, very high on the bucket list. <laughs> you'll get there. Yeah. I've confidence. So now you'll be able to tell people that if they ever ask you, there are brown bears in Latvia. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm, I just pronounced it right on the fly. Nailed Latvia. It. I nailed it. Um, next on the list of things to chat about, um, what do you know about, you know, what's your opinion on New Jersey bear protesters? We have a long history here at Mediator with people in New Jersey. And I'm sure you know a lot about anti-hunting uh, and animal rights activists that are, that are uh, protesting there. So like, what's your take on, on that? On them protesting. Them protesters. Bear hunts. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think they're misinformed probably first and foremost being led by some group of individuals that have a agenda yeah. that they're not really being truthful about and uh, yeah, they get people riled up. You feel like the bear, I did a thing not long ago on my uh, Instagram where somebody was asking me, you know, why do you think we care so much about bears? What is it about bears? And, and of course, Ronella has coined the charismatic megafauna term um, or popularized it at the very least. And my feeling is that we're so inundated with bears in our culture, especially bears that have been personified. Yes. That it's almost ingrained in us by the, before we know uh, what the animal is. You know, so then I went and I was like, yeah, my son's two and a half years old. I'll go into his room and I'll see how many bear things I can find. Books, stuffed animals, things that are bear related. And I quickly, without even trying, found like a dozen bear things. Books, he has two bear stuffed dolls. He has Winnie the Pooh he sleeps with. He has a bear that his grandfather bought him at Yellowstone that he carries around with him. He has all this bear paraphernalia, if you will, around. How many uh, mountain lion stuffies or not a, books not a single did one. he have? Yeah, not a none. single one. Lions were popular um, as well, but bears just seem to be this thing that we, you know, whether it's just to popularize characters like Winnie the Pooh and Paddington Bear and things like that, whether that's the reason because those things have been popularized or it's just the way that we treat bears. And I can't you know, there's no way for me to articulate how that came to be. I'm sure there's many threads you'd have to pull to get there, but I think that has something to do with it. Do your kids have a lot of you feel like your kids might have as many bear related items in their rooms? Oh, they're, for they're, sure. I mean, I could rattle off probably, well, rattle off half dozen, but I bet I could go find a good, good dozen books that have bears as, you know, main characters. One of my favorite ones to read when they were little was The Bear Snores On. Yeah. That was a, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? What effect? They live in bear country, right? They live in a place where it's a reality yeah. that bears are around. You know, not everybody does, uh, although there are a lot of bears in this country. Almost every state has has a bear of some kind. Yeah. Um, but not we, as we pound into them the species versus individual yeah. concept. You know, with regards to animals, with humans for that matter. I talk a lot about it too with them. But uh, so yeah, I don't. Th- I don't think that they at least at this point at five and seven, they don't have like a real like, Oh, why would you don't no need to go shoot bears? You know, why would you do that? You know, but their mom's always talking about how she wants a dead bear. Cause she wants the lard to make soap and to cook with. So it's a more practical approach. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was interesting. I saw it last night. You, does your kid have uh, Richard Scary's great big word book? Yes. I think that's what it's called. It's like a big, large format. Yep. Every page is like a different scene. There's yep. just words all over the place. Yep. 
I, I don't know the newest. We have a really old version that was that's been handed down to the family. But in there, there's a, like the pig family is in the supermarket, and mom pig has baby pig, or no, maybe just baby pigs. Somehow mom is gone, but baby pig's in the car by himself, standing in front of the butcher counter, and like three or four out of the six things in, uh, behind the glass <laughs> are pig <laughs> pig meat. <laughs> and I, I went, I, I took, I saw I that, was I was like, like oh. Uh, you want to see something fucked up, girls? Check this out. Did you explain it to him? Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. We got into cannibalism. They had yeah. never heard that term. That's so a good lead I, into yeah. cannibalism. We talked about animals being cannibalized, and on their own, they're like, well, do humans ever eat humans? So we had to get all into that. Next thing, <laughs> next thing you know, are you comfortable getting into that? I got to learn. Why would that. someone eat someone else? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you. Your plane crashes. But yeah, I mean, I think that, it, again, it, and pigs and farm animals are are personified all the time you know anthropomorphizing i can never say that word that's why it's a tough one is an issue and i think that leads to things like what happened um recently maybe we should start sorry to keep uh, cutting you off here but maybe we no, should no. start start anthropomorphizing or is it anthropomorphization that. if you do it with like a carrot mm, yeah i think so yeah maybe it's a different term yeah, it might be a different term, but maybe we should start putting out books about like carrots, you know, talking that. carrots and celery stalks. There are some out there. I know there have to be getting yanked but out of the ground. Just be, like, ah, ah. Exactly. Yeah. Just be pushing that narrative, pushing a, that narrative. A, a little bit more and then see how the vegetarians feel. A, when a they counter know. narrative. We'd be a counter narrative of really happy and, and healthy carrots that are just getting yanked out of the ground. Because that's my take on it. I don't like draw a line somewhere where all of a sudden something is more sentient than another. That's to me, hard, it's man. all life and energy. And it seems like the like the anti hunters, especially in the terms of and in bears, I think it's easier to do. But it seems like the biggest argument is to rise to the level of the sentience rises them to the level of our rights they are us we are the same thing you know we had those protesters out in front of our uh, sacramento uh, live podcast and cal and i went out and talked to them and that's what they were saying they're like well, you know they are they they're on the same playing field as you they're uh, listen man they're not um yeah. because they're not governed by the same moral moral and ethical boundaries as we are if like bears don't function like we function um they will eat their young. They will. There's just things that they do that we don't do. So we can't be governed by and have this have similar sentience. It's just not. It doesn't make any any sense in a natural world. Yeah. Do they want us to just start acting like bears? I don't know. I'd be like, it's going to be a violent world. You were going to get eaten, probably. Like, yeah. The 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 number one cause of bear mortality is bears. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just a, a twisted world. But there's a young lady. Well, not a young lady. She's fifty. Her name is Catherine McCartney. She was actually, she's a well-known New Jersey bear protester. Um, in fact, there's, you know, at least three instances where she has been arrested. And a couple of those were going to the opening day of bear season and standing out and screaming and holding bells and, and such, such things. Um, but she was arrested for uh, releasing a bear from a trap that was set by the state wildlife, state wildlife officials. And this wasn't the first time she got in trouble. No, no, state wildlife no, no, officials, no, no, right? If I no, she correctly. is. They, there's a quote in here um, that just says 
she is not getting the message that the law is the law. She certainly is. Uh, this is, isn't her first time that she was uh, either arrested or charged with something in relation to this. But this time she got 15 days in the Sussex County Jail for this for this particular one. Um, and it's just, it goes back to what we're talking about. I mean, this person here um, is is about an aggressive a uh, animal rights person I've ever seen if you, you start to read some of the stuff she's been involved in. Um, and New Jersey seems to be a hotbed for it for whatever reason, whether it's just the, you know, the proximity to urban populations and the mentality of, of that area of the world, but certainly has been, um, has been the epicenter of some of this stuff. And this was a bear that was um, caught in a trap earlier this fall after a woman reported that there was an aggressive bear around and they went and put in a trap and caught, um, I believe this was a bear cub. And then McCartney is quoted saying the sound of the bear crying to his mother was truly horrible. So I made the moral decision to let the bear go so that he could run back to his mother. It was the right thing to do. The judge of course did not agree and she was fined, uh, $1,191. Um, what do you think? I mean, uh, she certainly hurt this, this lady in the division of wild, the fish and wildlife in New Jersey do not have a good relationship <laughs> at all. I would feel bad in that situation too. If I was just hiking through the woods and I heard like a distant, like scream, howl pleading. And I went to it and I saw a bear cub that was freaked out inside of a trap. My, yeah. my heart would sink for, you know, and, and, and be worried for that bear. But, uh, it's like I'm sure the trap was marked. Oh yeah, with New Jersey Fish and Wildlife markings. And it's like they're out there doing something, and you you don't you can't mess with it. Just got to walk away, make a phone call. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they said the State Department of Envi- Environmental Protection spokesman said at the time of the release that a biologist with, within the division was going to go and take a look at this bear in question. And they said that the bear was probably young and not the aggressive bear they were trying to trap and they would have just let it go. Right. right. They would have let it go anyway. Um, so it just goes to show you that this, I mean, stuff happens all the time. Um, and there's a lot of these animal rights groups that are, that are, you know, centered in New Jersey in these areas. And, you know, Mrs. McCarthy, I feel like they should uh, like, instead of just the seven days in Sussex County, and that fine, maybe she should be forced to go take like a bear biology class mm. to learn a little bit more about the species and about how the species is being managed and researched. And then maybe she'd come away from that with like a better idea of what like she can go do to actually help bears. Yeah. Well, like you said, like a pragmatic look at what a bear is, you know, and how cohabitation works and the challenges of urban populations and suburban populations of humans running up against wild populations of bears and what the Department of Fish and Wildlife has to do to manage those interactions and what they steps they have to take. And it's not always, I'm sure for her, I, you know, I want to speak for her, but it seems like she is, you know, so concerned with the bear that she's lost the ability to reason, you know, any harm to any bear, which I think is certainly an issue um, for this lady. And she's caused a whole lot of trouble in in return. So we'll just tell her to maybe calm down when she gets out of jail, try to calm down, learn a little bit more about 
the process that the you know not that the Department of Fish and Wildlife ever there's always right, but you know they're not always wrong. It's not always the bear first in that situation. I feel like um, before we get to Mister Orr, I want you. you know, you've been a part of what we'll call a bear attack. Would you call it a bear attack? I mean. Nobody was hurt. So what's what's the definition of a bear yeah, attack? I, I don't know. Do you have to get like actually scratched up for it to be an attack? I would call it a, a full on charge, like a and mix I was, up. I was charged another time, um, so I've had two pretty close encounters. One being a lot closer than the other. What's your feeling now about you know not about bear attacks? Because if anybody wants to go listen to the accounting of the fog neck bear attack. You go listen to the Mitri podcast from the mediator mm-hmm. podcast. Um, you can go listen to that, but we want to go through, into that, but what do you feel about how bear attacks are reported on, you know, how they're covered in, in the media, how we as a hunting community love to, you know, to gather around them. It's like, it's the old um, train wreck analogy. Like, what do you feel about that? Having been through that, you, have any perspective on on how we talk about these things and why we talk about them so much? <sighs> you know, they're one of the greatest stories out there. That's the story everybody wants to hear. It is. It is I don't know, man yeah, versus beast. Because we're all yeah, we have an innate fear, you know, of being in that position. And if if you know somebody running across somebody that you know has gone through that, you want to hear about it. So, yeah, it's just, it's entertaining, you know, our brains love to think about it and, you know, live through other people. Yeah. How do you think about it now that, that you've been through it a couple of times? How do you think about bears? How do you think about bear country? How has it changed you? There's, it's, it's one of those things that it definitely deadens, uh, the longer you are removed from when the last time it happened. And what I mean by that is that just like the next hunting season after a fog knack, I was definitely just way more on edge. And then I had another one and it's just as slowly, like I'm still definitely way, way aware, you know, and I'm like, I've changed what I do as, as far as just my protocol procedures, you know, and, and where I'm, you know, the way I'm looking around where my bear spray is and where my pistol is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh yeah i can still go and sleep out in grizzly country on my own it's not like a great night of sleep it's worrisome <laughs> yeah. to toss and turn as well it should be it's hard to like even though you i get comfortable with myself in my head i feel like my ego which i just i just call the ego like the like the little voice that in, is in your head sometimes it will keep me awake. Yeah. Even though I'm totally have been just like, dude, you're fine. You're cool. You're tired. Go to sleep and you get to a certain point of sleep. And then all something like that ego, or your brain, some, something in there that you're not in control of is like, no, not go- You can't sleep. Uh, uh-uh. well, I can imagine those have been involved in a plane crash, right? We get on, yeah. pl- I get on a plane. I feel completely safe. I don't think about whether the engines are working. I don't think about whether the pilot's sober or drunk. I sit in my seat. I watch my movie. I do my work and I'm just being transported. I'm sure if I was in a plane crash, mm-hmm. that would completely change my mentality. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure it's the same in this case. Yeah. This is 10 a, years after the plane crash, you probably would be close, 
Close. to your original baseline. Yeah, get back to, oh, well, probably won't happen again. Totally. <laughs> I hope it won't happen again. All right. Know, the biggest thing for me now is with the kids, man. You know, it's yeah. one thing if you're out there by yourself and you can always sort of like, you have a plan for yourself. Like I know I can quickly just, that's why I do pull-ups, man. Because I know if I can at least <laughs> jump up and grab that one branch, I can get up onto it. And the grizzly bear, hopefully, if he can't, if he doesn't get there by the time I get my feet up, I've got like an escape plan. As let's long re- as there is a tree with a horizontal branch. Let's rewind, let's rewind that a bit. Give people your advice for, for bear, for how many push-ups, <laughs> how many push-ups and pull-ups does a man need to do to survive a bear attack? Giannis, oh, tell us, uh, give it to us. Uh, I have no Who's idea, but uh, like most people should know that grizz, an adult grizz, can't climb trees because of their the structure of their claws. Right, mm. they're long and they're meant for digging, slashing. Slash, yeah. Um, but not climbing trees. If you ever see a black bear in grizz country, if they sense danger, first thing they do is up the nearest tree. Um, and so if black bear does that to get away from a grizzly, it might be a good idea for, you know. Black bears are tree climbing suckers, man. Yeah, I've seen some A human to do the up. same thing. So I, I don't know. Dude, I recommend the Armstrong pull-up program. Do your pull-ups. Do your pull-ups. Now, yeah. I don't know if Todd Orr did pull-ups before he got jumped by a bear, but uh, we're about to find out, and uh, we're going to go all the way over to the other. We're sitting in the conference room right now. The I guess we'd call this the the podcast studio. Soon-to-be podcast studio. But we're going to transport all the way other across the office to where Todd and I sit down and talked about his bear attack. Uh, I don't know that we broke any news on this one, but it's as Yanni said, it's one hell of a story. And if you've already heard it, listen to it again. Uh, I think it's probably one of the the most notable bear attacks in modern times. So, without further ado, Todd Orr. Todd, how's it going? Excellent today. Having a good day. Well, How welcome to the the Meteor offices here in Bozeman. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate the offer. And you're a Montana man yourself, right? I am. I grew up over in Ennis, Montana, in the Madison Valley. Grew up fly fishing the Madison River and hunting the mountains around there and just camping and hiking and just a life in the outdoors. You're a lucky man. The Madison Valley. I killed my first elk in the Madison Valley right there by Ennis Lake. That's Um, great. I've killed like 30 over there. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, you know, I'm from, I'm an East Coast kid. I'm from Maryland originally. and, And in my head, when I build up hunting in the West, it was the Madison Valley. I don't know why I, I couldn't connect it to anything, but when I got there and I saw the place and I saw the elk, I'm like, yep, it's I was right place. all these years. You've got it's the, the blue sky, place. the mountains, the rivers, the streams. Mm. It's a little bit everything, a little small town of Venice there. It's yeah. a good place to grow up, good place to be. Yeah, and you've got a little knife shop over there? Uh, well, I live here in Bozeman, yeah, okay. but I uh, grew up over there, but uh, I build custom knives, Skyblade yeah. knives. Yeah. Uh, I use uh, the best stainless steel available and do all my own, all my own designs and using uh, different exotic hardwoods for handles, all different, you know, design shapes, sizes made to use. Yeah. And I have a lifetime warranty on them as well. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, we're talking about, I you sit around here and stare at computers and put headphones on and talking podcasts. <laughs> I would much rather be a craftsman. It's nice to be out there building something in the shop, but at the same time, I've got a respirator on to, for the dust and the <laughs> yeah. metal filings and all these like safety equipment that some days I'm just over it. I'm like, I 
tear that off. I got to get out of here. I got to get back outside. What's your favorite kind of knife to build? What's the, you have like a signature uh, knife that you, you build? Oh, I do like 30 for? or 40 different models oh, and wow. different designs and shapes and sizes. So I don't know if they really have a favorite. I've got a couple favorites that I like to use, but uh, the whitetail model is my yeah. best seller and it's a, with a four inch blade and does, does works pretty well. So you have a degree in fish and wildlife management. Is that I true? do. I got a degree from Montana State University in fish and wildlife management, and I don't really use it directly, but uh, I do all the trails engineering for the Forest Service right now. So oh, any, wow. any new trails that we're building on the Gallatin-Custer National Forest, I do all the design, the survey, the flagging, staking, GPS, any contracting that we're doing uh, from start, start to finish on like new trails, trail reroutes, repairs, wow. bridges, the whole work. So I'm in the woods from about April until November, hiking, you know, daylight to dark, usually by myself. So I was going to say, you spend a lot of time in the wilderness. A lot of time in the woods. Specifically around this, this general area. Yep. And that leads me to the thing that you're, I don't know if you're reluctantly famous for this, but famous for it anyway, <laughs> is a bear attack that happened um, a couple years back now. Yes. And what's interesting to me about it, hopefully people, if they know your name, Todd Orr, and they've seen the now famous video of you walking out with, mm-hmm. with uh, the rather fantastic... Uh, with my scalp hanging. With your scalp hanging. Over my ear, off. and yeah. So we'll get to that. I want to get to that, okay. that whole story, obviously. But... Uh, it's more interesting to me that what happened afterwards, right? You upload the video to Facebook, correct? Mm-hmm. And it gets millions of views within a couple yeah, of... I think 40, it was like 39 million views in 48 hours yeah. or something like that, yes. That's unbelievable. Yeah, and I didn't even know what a viral video was at that point. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I better take this video to show a couple of buddies. You know, I had a pretty crazy weekend. Yeah. And then, uh, you know... My weekend was crazier later, than yours. Yeah, and then a couple of days later, I'm like okay, I guess there's probably six or eight guys that'll want to see it. So instead of trying to send it separately to each one, I'll just throw it on Facebook and I'll have 50 people look at it. You know, didn't realize it'd be 39 million people looking at it. But <laughs> <laughs> So let's, let's go forward in time a little bit. 48 hours after you post it and you, and you see what it's become, what, where's your head at? Like what, you know, well, without... within a couple hours of posting it, I've, my phone starts to blow up and I'm getting texts and emails and phone calls and messages and my voice box fills up and and I delete them all because I'm like, I don't know what all these numbers are from, you know, and start realizing that people are trying to contact me pretty much every news, you know, radio show, news station out there is like wants to do an interview. And I've got people like, hey, this is so-and-so from CNN in New York. And uh, if we can get you on a plane in the morning, you know, to get you out here for a live interview at 8 a.m. And I'm like, I still haven't even washed the blood out of my hair yet, you know. (laughs) So it was kind of crazy. I have to go to surgery the next day on my arm and so it was kind of out of control and I'm not the kind of person or wasn't the kind of person that would want to sit down and talk to people. I'm yeah. kind of do my own thing. I, I don't want to be in front of a camera. I, yeah. Your life you know, would say, yeah, and, like, and, and just like, do. no, no thanks. So I didn't respond yeah. to anybody. I've got hundreds, probably had 500 emails and wow. yeah, just, you know, phone was just blowing up. So I just didn't respond to anybody. I just deleted everything and just kind of trying to heal up and do my own thing. But then eventually it's like, okay, it wouldn't end. People keep knocking on my door, the local news station. So, okay, it's time to do an interview and just get them off my back. And then I was like, okay, it's not too bad. I can do one more. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, a podcast. And before I know it, it's kind of just on a regular thing now. Yeah. Two years later, it's still still going on. Here we are. Here we are. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I love knives. We're here to talk about that. Yeah. That's the, the most interesting thing to me about it. What, if you had to look back on 
the last couple of years and what's going on because I have a list here of stories on Fox News, CNN, CBS, Huffington Post, Daily Caller, New York Post, Men's Health, and then pretty much every local news channel you can enlist, mm-hmm. many hunting podcasts, including Randy Newberg and others, and now here we are. If you had to look back on that, what do you, what do you think – was it just a sensationalist, like the video that started and all the sensationalism around it? You know, how do you examine that? And you're, you know, looking back at Well, looking at back, I think a lot of people, you know, I, I mean, I always kind of wondered why did this happen? You know, why did yeah. it just blow up like that? And it's like, well, a lot of people like the gore side of it and my bloody arm with tendons sticking out. But then just being attacked by a grizzly bear is pretty rare. And then having the video an hour later, as soon as I got to the truck and to safety and, you know, and just the whole story together. And I think people are like, how could you even take the the time to take a video? Why weren't you at the hospital? And I'm like, well, you know, I spent an hour hiking out. I've assessed my wounds. You know, I know I'm not going to bleed to death. I'm not going into shock. My body's calmed down. The adrenaline rush is starting to fade. And it's like, well, another 30 seconds for a video really isn't going to matter. I still have a half hour drive to the hospital. And so I think people just, I don't know, it's just something so different. Caught a lot yeah. of people off guard, and they go, oh, i got to show my buddy, and it just exploded across the world. I mean, I had I different countries offer me to fly me to Australia for a, wow. uh, a news interview. The Australians <laughs> would like something like this, would yeah. they? They're yeah. like, yeah, that's and our I was guy. like, oh, that'd be a great that's trip I'd love to do, but not till I heal up first. Yeah. I don't want to sit in a hotel room with bandages all over me in Australia for a week, but thanks anyway. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any crazy stories from all that attention that, that came up along the way that just that shocked you even more than just the normal oh, attention? I think just more of the thing that people would think that, you know, okay, the next morning I'm going to get on a plane and fly somewhere when I've got tendons sticking out of my arm, you know, and my scalp's hanging off. I just surprised at how much the media was like trying to get me to do something, you know, and to commit to something. And it's just like, I have surgery. I have yeah. a healing to do. I can't go anywhere for weeks. You know, hard, I've, got a, yeah. I've got a brace on my arm that I have to wear for six weeks to keep the tendons from tearing out again. And so just a little crazy how quickly that went. And how so yeah, so you're saying up. they didn't really care about you. Is what you're saying. <laughs> I don't think so. So, I mean, I think it boils down to, I always say, like, I think news is always buttressed by, like, things become more controversial, more attention when there's video involved, especially in social media. Mm-hmm. So I think this boils down to, a lot A lot of the attention boils down to the fact that you, you had the mindset to take the video. You know, I think most people, I remember watching it the first time going, he took a video. <laughs> this guy is, vi- <laughs> and he's talking like, hey, how's it going? You know? Uh, half my head's hanging off. Yeah. You know, so let's, let's, we got to cover that. We got to okay. take people through like the moment that you picked your phone up and started to record. Like you, you kind of already gone over that, but take us a little deeper into, you know, what you were thinking. Well, it wasn't until I, I got back to the truck, you know, after the whole, the, both attacks and I've got an hour hike out and the whole time hiking out, I'm just like paying attention. Okay. I could run into another bear here or something. So I'm looking at my wounds and I'm watching, got bear spray in my hand and a gun in this hand and, and it wasn't until I got to the truck and I finally, like, finally felt like, okay, I'm safe. You know, I'm, I'm not going to bleed to death. I'm not going to get attacked again. I'm at the truck. And I, my first thought was there's going to be other people coming up here on Saturday morning of bow season to go hunt. And so I need to like warn people of this aggressive bear. And so I was thinking, well, I'll put a, a note on the bulletin board and try to warn people. But, you know, I dripping blood all over and I couldn't get my arm to move. So that didn't work. I'm like, okay, I guess it's just time to go to the hospital. And I'm like, 
God, I better record this real quick. I don't know. I just was like, I got to show a couple buddies how crazy my weekend is. And there's a couple friends of mine that we always, at the end of the weekend, would share our hunting stories. Two guys that are kind of like my best friends. And it's like, we always like, hey, what'd you see? How'd you do this weekend? And it was kind of those two guys were on my mind. And it wasn't till like the next day when I'm like, well, there's a couple other guys that'll want to see it. And I really had never even thought about you know, putting it out there like this is going to be some great video people want to see. This yeah. is just like, well, and that's why I think it came across as pretty real because it was. It wasn't me like trying to set something up. Yeah, you were trying to get was, likes or trying no, to drive I, any, I didn't even, yeah, anything. That yeah. wasn't my thing. So it was just like, I'll take this video to show some people that are friends. It's, you know, stuff can happen out there. And <laughs> you got to be careful. And Were you fairly active on social media before that or posting a lot? Or no, is that all, just I ever, all I ever did was post like, photos like about once every six months like maybe i went to southern utah hiking so i just put an album up with 30 photos just so my friends could see photos and that was it i never posted anything and talked about anything or like zero if you go back and look at the history there was like nothing except some pictures posted (laughs) for like five years until two years ago and it all changed (laughs) i still don't do it a lot i try to just keep up with a few things and let people know what's going on but yeah not a daily poster usually (laughs) there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from planning your next one just got a whole lot easier download the fishing booker app on the google play or app store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. For three days only, save up to 30% off bestsellers from First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store. They'll also have for sale the Bear Grease Trucker Hats and Camo. They're included in this sale and all the great gear on First Light. Whether you're fishing, shed hunting, scouting, sighting in rifles, or cutting lanes, your gear needs to keep up with all your spring and summer pursuits. The sale has you covered. Hurry, the sale ends May 16th. Shop now at firstlight.com, F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E.com. <laughs> it's hard to be when you live a life outside. Yeah. Well, let's get into the actual story. For those that don't know, we'll try to get as much detail into that day as, as possible. Um, sure. October 1st, 2016. Yes. I, w- like, I would say this is probably, you know, in the modern era, or at least in the social media era, the, probably the most famous bear attack that there is. <laughs> I mean, I thought about this and thought about other bear attacks and other attacks that we've known of and tried to compare like the iconic image of you mm-hmm. walking out uh, or being at your truck there. Um, and I, that's what I, that would be my take on it. Just, just 
how much people uh, were drawn to that and were drawn to like what you, the words you were saying as you were filming in the video. So right. I, mean, it's, I think it's important that people understand from soup to nuts exactly what happened. So, you know, October 1st, 2016, I think that's first set the scene. Like what are you hunting? Where are you and why, why are you there? Okay. It was uh, during bow season and it was a Saturday morning. I'd been working for the forest service for the last couple months, like 60 hours a week, trying to get all of our trail work done. So I finally had a day off and I'm like, okay, I got these things done. I can go out and just do my own thing and hike on my own time. And I thought, well, it's, you know, hunting season, the regular general season's coming up in a couple weeks. So I'm just going to get out and start, get up in the high country and look around and see if I can locate some elk and get an idea where I might want to go hunting later. So I got up early in the morning and drove over to Ennis and hiked up uh, by Sphinx Mountain is where I was at over in the Madison Valley. And I got to the trailhead at probably an hour before daylight. And that's usually when I'm hunting or doing anything, I'm always up early. So I'm up there early, get up to the high country at daylight when, I'm have, when I would have the best chance to see some elk. So I get my pack on, my bear spray, my pistol, and, and I, I had a wolf tag, and I've never shot a wolf. And I thought, well, the wolf season was open, so I'll carry, have my pistol with me in case I get a chance at a wolf. But otherwise, I wasn't hunting at all. Yeah. That was just more of a scouting for elk. And what pistol are you carrying? Uh, at this time, I've got a 10 mm. Yep. It's a 1911 uh, Rock Island Armory 10 mm, and I've got a scope on it. I made a scope mount for it and oh, put nice. a regular pistol, I release long, I release scope on it. So it really wasn't a good bear protection. Yeah, it wasn't for because bear it's protection. this big, heavy thing that you can't really. You not know, that a 10 millimeter isn't a good round. For, yeah, but you'd be point and shoot with the scope if something was charging so. you, yeah. and it's not a quick draw. I had just a shoulder holster, but really wasn't concerned about bears. I mean, I know they're out there. I spend a lot of time in the woods. I see bears all the time, but usually they go the other direction or they kind of watch you and they kind of meander off. Didn't think there was going to be an issue, so that wasn't my concern. Had my bear spray just in case as well, and took off up the trail in the dark and just a little flashlight out there and just every you know minute or 30 seconds i'd just be like hey bear coming up the trail just in case it's like i don't want to run into one in the dark for yeah, sure so you're very you're aware yeah, i'm totally like you're aware, aware of what's I spend going my on life there. out there so i'm yeah. aware of it i know there's bears in the area i see the sign a lot all the time and so i'm working my way up the trail and it's about three three and a half miles up and just starting to get daylight and i step out into this opening and i'm kind of in a hurry because i'm trying to get up as far as i can by daylight so i'm i'm just moving along pretty fast pace and i step out into this opening and look up and at the other end of the opening this sow grizzly and two cubs just step out and we see each other at the same time both of us stop and i'm like oh there's a grizzly bear and she turns immediately and runs up the trail and over the ridge and just how far away when she when you first saw her this is like 80 yards away maybe okay so so close yeah i mean well i mean it's yeah, not not something not I was really face. concerned about yeah, at this yeah. point. I'm like, okay, I don't need to even have bear spray out yet. It's clear up there. She's running over the ridge, not too worried. So I wait about a minute and didn't see her. So I'm like, okay, she's gone. I'll never see her the rest of the day. So I'll just go the opposite direction and do my thing all day. No big deal. And so I took a few steps up the trail, heading the other, other direction, and I heard something, a noise, a branch or something caught my attention, and I turned and looked over my left shoulder, and she had dropped her cubs and had circled around the ridge and came in behind me, probably downwind to get my scent. And as I turned, I see her out of the corner of my eye, and she's coming over the ridge, wide open, 30, 40 mile an hour charge. And her ears are laid back, and she's just screaming through the brush, stuff's flying, and she's just full charge. Yeah. 
And so I have my bear spray hanging right on, my, on a chest holster, and I just instinctively pulled my bear spray, pulled the safety clip out just in case, looked back up, kind of expecting a bluff charge, and looked back up, and there she is, like 30 feet. She covered that distance in like yeah. two seconds. And she's not slowing down. She's not bluff charging. She's not checking me out. She has her ears laid back in a full charge. And I just took a couple steps back and started spraying, and I just gave a blast of bear spray right in her face, and immediately she just came right through it. Her, just her momentum of that speed just carried her through the bear spray. All that weight mm-hmm. just coming down. And it just took only you know a couple seconds, and she was right there on me. And I just turned and went down on my face with my hands behind the back of my neck, and she pretty much knocked me down, and uh, the bear spray you know, didn't affect her immediately, but it took with like three or four seconds, and she started coughing. But she was able to bite me four or five times on my right arm and my shoulder, and then she started making this coughing sound and took off. Just that quick, she was gone. I didn't know where she was. I picked myself up and like, wow, I got some puncture wounds on my yeah. arm. But Do you remember bleeding. it ever slowing down at any point? Like I've had, I had another guy on the podcast that was attacked by a bear in a fog neck, and he talked about a flow state, you know, being a, being having the ability to move but his mind was slowed down to a point where he could, yeah, it's two or three seconds, but he can remember every, you know, right. every motion, every little thing that happened. You well, get, feel the, that at all? In the second attack, that did. But the okay. first attack, it just happened so quickly that it was just like, boom, bite, 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 it's over, she's gone. That yeah, you didn't I'm have time like, to kind of like feel not, the crunching I mean, just, or, or No, it just happened so bear. fast, it was just done. I'm just a surprise, and all of a sudden, it's over. So I picked myself up, and I'm like, oh, wow, that was crazy. Just got attacked by a grizzly bear, and I'm alive. That's good. Bear spray worked. Just took a couple seconds, you know, and I looked down. I got some puncture wounds, and I'm bleeding. I'm like, all right, nothing's broke. I'm just going to head down to the hospital and get some stitches, you know. Yeah. It's kind of a crazy morning all of a sudden. Did you think about what her intent was at that point? Like, was she just giving you a warning shot, or she just... Well, it just, you know, most bears will you know, they'll stop and check you out and see what you are, bluff charge or stand up, snap their jaws or something, or maybe blow by you, but they rarely actually attack you. And so this was, I thought it was kind of rare. She was more aggressive than most bears have seen most bear behavior. And apparently I was just too close to her. I was a threat to her cubs. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it was a hundred yards from her cubs, at least, you know, still, I was still a threat and she got my, went downwind of me, got my wind and decided that's it. I'm getting him. So it was, it was pretty rare. I think for a bear to come in that quick and not even hesitate. But I just picked myself up and said, all right, got to head down the trail and get down and get some stitches. And I thought that was the end of it. Yeah. Do you remember immediate pain or did it, was it just, was there a pragmatic nature? Because I've, again, talked to other folks that have been attacked by bears and it always seems like I got to this point, then I went to this point, then I went to this point, a very formulaic way to approach right. after the fact. Yeah, well, the first bite, I remember the, that first bite, the excruciating pain, you know, right, it was right in my shoulder, I think, the first bite. So I remember that. And then, it, you know, like I said, that, that first attack was so quick that it was just four or five bites in just like three seconds, and then it was over. And so all of a sudden, you're like, wow, okay, yeah, that hurts. You know, you, you know, big inch and a half canine yeah. buried into your yeah. arm muscle, you it know, doesn't feel you good. definitely feel it. Yeah, so. it doesn't feel good. But your adrenaline's going too, so you're kind of like, wow, that's crazy, and you're not really thinking about the pain. You're just making sure you're not going to bleed out and then got to head to the hospital and get some stitches and call it a day, you know, get so it, I go thought it was all over. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then you, uh, you got going to the truck and then, and then, so about five minutes down the trail and the trail kind of goes right across, uh, 
crosses the creek there. And so I'm a few hundred yards down the trail and I can't really hear too much because of the water in the creek there. And all of a sudden something just got my attention, a little noise or something. I turned and here she was right behind me, 10 feet at this time, coming wide open again. And I've got bear spray in my hand and there wasn't even time to do anything. It was like I caught her out of the glimpse, you know, out of the corner of my eye and boom, I'm knocked down on my face right in the rocks by the creek. And immediately she is on top of me. And this time she's really mad. And she's, her first bite was in my left forearm. I had my hands up behind my head, again, protecting the back of my neck. And the first bite was in my left forearm, forearm and it ripped two of the tendons out and broke my arm, the all in the bone of my arm, just crushed it right there. And I remember that immediate pain and just that feeling and the sound of that. And I just kind of, I winced, I kind of went Ugh, and pulled my arm away. And that motion and that sound just triggered like a frenzy. And she just grabbed a hold of me, picked me up, and she was shaking me. She'd slam me down. She bit me 20, 25 times in my right arm and my shoulder. At one point, she bit me in the side, and it kind of turned me. And I remember just seeing her head like a foot from mine, looking right in her eye. And I'm just like, no, pull it back in. And I just used every bit of strength that I had to hold that face down position, protecting the sides of my face and my eyes and my vitals, and trying not to let her flip me over. Yeah. Are there any real visceral memories, like the smell of her breath or the feeling of her claws? Or like, is there anything... Yeah, this this attack, you know, I remember the pain of that first bite and then your adrenaline kicks in and it's that will to survive. And I just, I don't remember any more pain after that, but it's like all the other senses are heightened. It's like, I can remember how bad she stunk, just the smell of rotten death that she, whatever she'd been eating or rolling in, you know, and then just hearing, I could hear, you know, every bite, you could hear the crunch of that a big canine bearing into your arm muscle. It's like, you hear this crunching sound, you smell her. I can feel her like breathing on the back of my neck. And that was probably the eeriest part was just hearing and breathing the sound and this, the feeling that breath on the back of my neck, just inches from my spine. And I'm just like, you know, one bite in there and that's over. I could be paralyzed or bleed out or whatever. So I just kept telling myself, don't move. She's going to leave. She's going to get, she's going to go check on her cubs. You just got to ride this out. And that was my whole focus. I told myself that a hundred times in my head. It was like, don't move. She's going to leave. Just, just hold it down. And at one point I remember a a claw caught the side of my scalp and that's what ripped that big five inch gash and my scalp was hanging over and my eyes filled with blood so I can't see anything. (laughs) Just a crazy situation. Just she's picking me up, slamming me into the dirt, you know, my face into the dirt, just shaking me like a rag doll. I was just helpless. And as helpless is something I think that when you listen to accounts of attacks of this nature, there's nothing but helplessness. I mean, I think when all of us think Oh, a bear's going to attack me. I've got my bear spray. I've got my pistol. I've got my mm-hmm. wits. But in most cases, and in a lot of cases, especially yours, that you are helpless, and all you can do is lay there. And right. what what interests me the most is as you're laying there, the that, the thought process that you have, because you're not immediately like, I'm going to die. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm going to die. You're thinking through. Okay, if this bite lands here, if this if this happens, what's the next right. move? What's the next? result yeah well, you're, um, you're talking about an animal that can you know kill an elk with one yeah. bite or a swat or bison you know whatever they can they're just a killing machine and so i have absolutely no chance to fight back against this thing to a grizzly bear especially a big grizzly bear so i knew my only only thing i could do was to just play dead and hope she would leave i couldn't fight back i, I thought about trying to get to my pistol but i didn't want to get flipped over on my back and then have her rip my face open or my throat or something but i think it's you know, one of the things that, that will to survive and knowing that you, there's nothing you can do. And so 
you know, I had people ask me, it's like, oh, did you, did you see your life flash before your <laughs> eyes? You know, and when I first started doing interviews, I'm, everybody asked that. I'm like, yeah, I thought I was going to die. But then I got to thinking about it, you know, more recently, it's like, I don't think that ever crossed my mind that I was going to die because you're in that survival mode. You're not in the dying mode. You're like, what do I do to live? How do I live? I got to get through this. I don't want to die. You don't give up. You never seem to, you know, people don't give up when it comes to something like that. You keep fighting back somehow. Yeah, I always and think so, that. I think... And, and again, it's, it's cool to hear you say that because I've heard it from other folks similar, in similar situations. You think about your death after, like when it's calmed when down it's and you, yeah. you're able to then reflect <laughs> on how close you came. Right. But during it, I think it's important for people to know. And I think it's important for to have these conversations so people can, can hear these because if it happens to you, you have to have some perspective mm-hmm. that, it is, that it is always about survival. And that's, that's your survival instincts are real and they do kick in. And that fear and that angst about absolutely. death doesn't have time to kind of poke its way into your thoughts. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and the more you think about your situation prior to like the attack, having, you know, practiced my bear spray, having thought about, okay, what happens today if I run into a bear? What am I going to do? And the more you think about that and ha- are more aware of, you know, bear behavior and bear safety, then if that situation does happen, it's muscle memory. You just automatically, you do something. I didn't think about pulling my bear spray. I automatically pulled my bear spray because I'd practiced it 500 times. You know, I didn't think about, okay, go down and protect the back of your neck. I just did it. All of a sudden I'm in curled up in a ball face down playing dead. And it's like, I didn't, that didn't have to go through my head. It just happened because you've been, I'd thought about it before. I'd practiced that. I knew what I needed to do to survive the situation. And so I think that's important to tell people is like, you know, you can't just go buy bear spray off the shelf and then go out there and start hiking. And all of a sudden a bear charges you and expect to to do everything right, you're probably going to panic, scream, and run, yeah, otherwise, yeah. or fall down on, you yeah, know. or throw the bear spray, yeah, at, something, at run, you know, yeah, or, not, or forget you have it on you. You know, it's like yeah. you have to practice those things so it becomes a muscle memory and becomes instinctive, and you do it, and that's how you're going to survive. Yeah, I feel strongly. I mean, it's a, a very practical you know, thought process mm-hmm. survival. Survival nowadays, if you read the books and watch the TV shows, has become about survival skills like being able to start a fire with a bow and a, and right. a stick. To me, it's less that. It's like how do you think about where you are and what you're doing and how your thought processes lead to preparate, you know, to being prepared when something like this does happen. So it sounds to me like you, you had done that work. You know, I, I think spending my well. life in the outdoors, you know, ever since a kid in Montana and bear country and I'd seen bears as a kid and talking about it with my, my dad and my parents out camping and knowing what to do and what not to do. And then 30, almost 30 years with the Forest Service and I've taken bear awareness and bear safety classes and bear identification classes. I've carried the bear spray. I've known what to do. And I think that's, that makes a difference for sure. And yeah. you can't just plan to go out there without any knowledge or any practice and, and, you know, succeed at something in that situation. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's get back to, you know, the bear is mauling you. Okay. Like you, yeah. there's a quote. <laughs> let's go back to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll get back to that, Ben. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, there's a quote that I read that you said the weirdest moment of the whole thing was feeling her claws on my lower back, all her weight on me. She was panting and sniffing the back of my neck. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened after that? Yeah. So she's got me pinned to the ground. I got, I got little scars right below my belt line where she had me just st- all her weight on top of me and I can barely breathe, but I'm trying not to make any noise. So I'm trying to breathe quietly when, and in this crazy situation so she doesn't keep chewing on me and she'd sniff the back of my neck and then she'd like 
bite my shoulder and then she'd stop and she'd sniff again and then she'd bite. And it was more of like those last few seconds as her like nipping on me. It was more like testing to see if I was incapacitated, if the threat was over, if I was dead. So instead of like just trash me around, it's just checking me. And it was like, I had all these like bruises that were in like marks that were like dog bites or something. Yeah. They didn't she just quite put the pressure of her the, jaw on. Yeah. You. Just yeah. pressure and just testing me, testing me. And she did that a, a dozen times probably. And then she just stopped and she was just standing there and it was like dead quiet. I, I'll remember that. It was like so quiet, nothing. I'm like, I can feel her weight, but she's not even breathing, you know, nothing. I'm just like, trying not to breathe myself. And I think she was probably just looking around to see if there was any other threat or where her cubs might be and checking the situation out. And then all of a sudden she just stepped off me and I remember just that oh I can take a deep breath again and she stepped off and disappeared and so I just held that position for like 30 seconds I'm like not moving okay is she 10 feet away is she gonna bite me again I'm just waiting for that attack again or that bite and nothing no sound and I'm like okay maybe she's gone but if I you know make a movement or something like that and she's right there watching me I'm gonna get attacked again so I just held the position and I got to thinking if she goes back and checks on her cubs and they're still up a tree or wherever she put them. And then she's like, okay, let's come back and see if the threat's still here. And I'm still there. She's going to attack me again. Cause I'm still a threat to her. So I decided I got to protect myself. I got to get out of here. I got to do something. So I really slowly pulled my, my arm down from, I had my arms behind my head still pulled one arm down and reached under for my pistol that I had in a shoulder holster. And I remember reaching in there and it was like, where is it? It's gone. I can't find it. So I'm like, okay, relax, Todd, just reach for your pistol. It's right there under your, your armpit, you know? And so I reached again and realized it had been ripped off during the attack. And so I don't know where the pistol is. My bear spray is gone. I can't see anything. I'm completely helpless. So I really slowly reached up and kind of wiped some blood from my eyes and looked each direction kind of under my arm. And I didn't see her anywhere, but my pistol was laying over there about 10 or 15 feet away. And I just dove for the pistol and pulled it out of the holster hammer back like, okay, I'm ready now. And she was gone. She wasn't there anywhere. So I'm like, okay, I got to get out of here. I need to put distance between her and I. And my left arm, broken arm with tendons sticking out. My wrist is all curled under and it's just useless. So I tucked the pistol under my armpit right here where I could grab it easily, picked up the bear spray in this hand and just kind of with this arm against my side and just took off down the trail and just said, okay, I got to get distance down there. And so I went- How far did you have to get to safety? It was about three and a half miles, like an hour hike out of there. And it's a rough trail down the canyon across the creek couple times and and it's bear country so you know it's like you could run into another bear at eight o'clock in the morning on the way out and i was thinking yeah. about that going oh geez this is the smell terrible. yeah the this smell of blood a third yeah. Time, yeah. <laughs> so after like 15 minutes of hiking i'm down the trail like a mile or something and then i you know i'm starting to calm down going okay she's not going to attack me again you know she's way back up there with her cubs i got nothing to worry about so i stopped and just checked my wounds and you know to see if i need some you know, bandaging or tourniquet or something. How bad am I bleeding? I didn't want to, you know, bleed out on the way to the truck kind of thing. And so I got to thinking about that now that I'm calmed down a little bit and everything, you know, I still had blood dripping off my elbows and soaking through my shirt into my pants, but I could tell there was no severed arteries. I'm not going to bleed to death. And I'm like, okay, just keep going get to the truck and then you can do some first aid. So you were trying to traveling and assessing at the same time. I, I was, yeah, yeah. I would like be hiking and I kind of stopped, kind of looked down at my elbows, my arms and just make sure there was nothing, you no, know, no guts hanging out, you know, anything like that. So I'm okay. And it, I'd stopped, I think twice on the way down and it took me about an hour to hike out of there. And when I finally got to the truck at the end there and right to the trailhead and it was just like a relief, like, okay, I made it to the truck. I'm not in shock. I'm not bleeding out. I didn't get attacked again. There's yeah. no bears or mountain lions 
lion's waiting for me down here. I'm, I'm good to go. I'm going to make it. I'm going to survive this. How much of that hour do you remember? Like what was going through your head during that time? Was it still, was it still very pragmatic or had it kind of scattered a bit your thoughts? Uh, I think it was still, I mean, I'm trying to think back at it. I remember the constantly thinking about what was going on around me. I mean, like watching behind me, watching up on the hill just to make sure I wouldn't run in. You know, like I said, there could have been another bear. And it's like, if there is another bear, I got to make sure I avoid it because there's no way I can fight back at this point or yeah. protect myself. Can't hardly hold a pistol or anything. And this arm is useless. So I remember watching that constantly around me as I'm hiking out. And then at the same time, kind of assessing the wounds as I'm going and, Beyond that, it was more of just like over and over in my head, like you're almost there. You're almost there. You're almost to the truck. It's, it's you know, everything's good to go. You're going to make it. You're going to survive this. And wasn't really thinking about what I was going to do when I got there. I just knew I had to get to the truck and get to the hospital. Yeah. Well, yeah. If there's any time in your life you know what you have to do, yeah. it would be that time <laughs> I got to get in my truck yeah. and go. I wasn't looking for elk or anything at that point. I wasn't scouting out any elk or anything. That would have been the shits of it if you saw like a big bull on the ridge. Like, oh, like geez, ah, I really want to get it. a photo of him, but I can't hold the camera, so we'll skip that today. <laughs> that would have been if you said, "Well, I stopped to glass for I saw a bull. I stopped to no, glass." No, no, didn't go that far. Um, there, when you get back to the truck and you know you're in safety. Um, other attack survivors I've talked to, they talk about, you know, either I've, I've heard it a couple different ways. I've heard like the shakiness of the adrenaline and kind of the feeling of the jitteriness. And then I've heard like the, the, the intense calm and like the stiffening of posture mm-hmm. and like the, the forcible, I will live through this. This is not it for me. Like, right. or you, where were you in that? Well, it'd been, it'd been like an hour since the attack and I've had all this time to think about it and what just happened and, you know, running it through my head and then just the relief of getting to the truck and getting to the trailhead out of the canyon, I went, you know, to safety. And I felt, I think, you know, that a lot of the adrenaline had wore off by then and I was feeling a lot of pain. My left arm was just excruciating pain. Like it was in a vice from the tendon sticking out and the broken, you know, all the nerve damage, a lot of nerve damage. And so the I, I felt pretty calm. I didn't feel like I was in shock or had that adrenaline rush anymore. It was just like, okay, I, I survived this, you know, that, you know, plan B or next step is to get to the hospital and really hadn't, you know, I wasn't nervous anymore. I wasn't, I don't know. I, I've, I probably could have joked about it at that point. If there was someone else there, I could have been like, how do I look? You know, <laughs> it's, it's a bad hair day, you know, <laughs> but cause you know, cause I felt so relieved yeah. that I was, I was okay. I survived this. I'm out of, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's not over. I've got a lot of rehab to do, but yeah. the, the death, the life threatening situation is over. And that was just a complete relief. During the whole, you know, from the time of the attack until you get back to your truck, were there any, you know, people that kept popping into your head voices or experiences were there any things that you called back to you know during i guess uh, what i would imagine would be a lot of terror and just a lot of you know craziness were there things that you called back to in your life or people that you thought about uh, I, I don't really think there was much at that point. It was more of, you know, everything, my whole focus that entire time was on that survival mode. And I, you know, it's like, you know, people had asked me, it's like, did, you know, your life flash before your eyes and you remember these people and, you know, that in your life and wish you had said something or all that, but that like, you know, I told you that never happened because you're in no. survival mode. You're not thinking you're dead at this point. You're like, you're still going to make it somehow. Yeah. So it was all about just 
getting back, getting to safety. And then like, okay, I got to get to the hospital. You know, I, I knew I had to call my girlfriend and let her know what was going on. That was going to yeah. be something and let my parents know my parents were on vacation, you know? So I'm like, well, I'm not going to bother them until after the whole day of surgery and getting stitched up and then I'll give them a call. Yeah. But uh, I did on my drive out, I did uh, call my girlfriend and just say, it was like eight 30 in the morning now. And so she answers the phone. It's kind of funny. She answers the phone like, Oh, hi. And I'm like, Hey, how you doing? She's like, Oh, I just uh, getting ready to go have coffee with her girlfriend. And, and I'm like, Oh, okay. And, and she's like, well, why are you calling me? Aren't you, I thought you were going to be up on top of the mountain all day. And I'm like, well, I had a little situation. And so then I told her I got attacked by a bear and she was in nursing school. So I knew she was going to have a lot of questions and so I'm like, I've got a broken arm. I've got tendons or something sticking out of my arm. I've got a big cut on my head, but I'm not bleeding to death. And I'm driving myself to the hospital. And and so she had a couple more questions. And then I said, all right, if you can meet me at the hospital with some some clean clothes and uh, we'll see you in an hour or so. And other than that, I just was like heading to the hospital. That yeah, was my focus. Gone. And then when you get to the hospital, like you said you kind of list out all your injuries. Um, uh, I read that the doctor spent eight hours stitching up you know, 26 inches of different, you know, parts of your body. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I was, I was driving to the hospital and I, well, on the way down to the hospital, I ran into a rancher that was getting into his mailbox that morning and, and, uh, he, I kind of flagged him over and he saw the blood all over me. I told him I was attacked by a bear and I said, Hey, can you call the hospital and just give him heads up that I'm coming in? So I don't walk in looking like this and surprise everybody. And he had asked if I needed a ride. And I said, no, I already got a mess in my you know, bloody mess in my own truck. I don't want to make a mess of yours too. And so I went ahead and drove myself in. And when I got to the hospital about 30 minutes later, I pulled into the emergency entrance there and there was a sheriff and a doctor and a nurse all standing out there waiting for me. They'd got the word. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. And so I pulled up there and tried to put my truck into park. But at this time, it's almost two hours or an hour and a half since my attack. And I can't hardly lift my arms. All these wounds are really starting to cramp up and I'm just kind of immobile. And I did have enough strength in my arm because of a big tear in my right shoulder. I couldn't even lift the truck or the 
put the truck into park. So I kind of motioned at the sheriff and he came over and got the truck in park for me. And then I couldn't get the seatbelt off. So he had to help me get the seatbelt off. And I remember he was like, I'm surprised you took time to, to buckle up. And I was like, <laughs> safety well, first. Just, yeah. I was just, well, I just survived two bear attacks. I didn't want to die in a car wreck on the way to the hospital <laughs> after all of that. So a little extra precaution there, but anyway, so they got me, I walked into the hospital and I remember Everybody that was in the hospital heard about it now. So all the nurses and even I think some of the patients were all kind of lined up along the main hallway on each side. So I kind of had like this parade of so people. Your first watching evidence me. that this might yeah, be it's a like, viral. Oh, I want to see what this looks like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go in there, and then they did X-rays uh, everywhere I'd been bit. They took X-rays to see what other broken bones I had. Just had the one in my my all in the bone, my arm, and then about seven or eight hours with a doctor on each side, just putting stitches in, and all the puncture wounds were really deep. So they'd put a stitch down like halfway in to make sure it was closed and then a stitch at the top. And then took quite a bit of time on my head to make sure they stitched that really well. I don't remember how many stitches, but I think it was like 26 centimeters of stitching they put in total on my, my arm and my head. Wow. And then the my left arm where I had the tendon sticking out, I remember the doctor, he was like, well, I think those are tendons or something. He's gonna have, you're going to have to see an orthopedic <laughs> like, surgeon. Sir, I, I would wish you'd be more specific. <laughs> yeah. I think those are tendons or something. He's like, I think you're going to have to see an orthopedic surgeon. I'm like, all right. But he's like, I'll just push, kind of get that stitch back over and closed up for now, you know, to stop the bleeding. So I remember, remember him trying to push the tendons back in my arm and they're, you know, they're kind of rigid. So they're sticking out and he'd push them in and try to stitch it and it, they'd pop back out. And he was, he was having a heck of a time, but finally got me all closed up and sent me home that night. Yeah. And it was the next day. Then I had to go into the orthopedic surgeon and they spent about think like four hours doing a bunch of kind of exploratory surgery. They had to reopen all the wounds that the doc the day before it stitched up and clean everything out and look to see what kind of nerve damage or tendon yeah. damage. And, and, uh, I remember sitting in there and I got, I wanted to watch it all. He's like, well, if we, you know, give you some drugs or whatever, I'm like, just do the local in my, my arm. Oh, you're better I want to watch me. the whole you're better thing. Than me. So I'd be like, put me out. I had the big, big screen TV right there above my head and I'm watching the whole thing. And he's like, okay, this is your all in the bone. He'd tap on it and I could feel like the vibration oh, in my shoulder. Man. And he's like, okay, this is the tendons that are ripped out. And, and, it, and then I'd be like, I can't quite see it. And he'd lift up the curtain oh, there a little that, bit. That so I could look I right down at my arm. I can't. Todd, you're a badass. <laughs> look oh, look right into my arm there. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. So anyway, they, he'd, uh, had to figure out how to attach the re the two tendons again because one was for my wrist and one for my these two fingers, and so he would sit there and find something to get my fingers to move, and then finally stitch that in there and just get everything back to where it would work for me. And took a four or five hours and put well, me back together. Went. Boy, I'd have been out. Sent like, me home. I'd have been like, put me out. <laughs> Can I don't want to know about that. Uh, no, I, I didn't want any kind of medication at all. I wanted to be totally a hundred percent so I could watch the whole thing. And well, well done, yeah. well done. <laughs> And so, you know, at, at this point in the story, everything's okay. Like, well, you, like as okay as it can be in this situation. You feel like you're, you're going to mend. The doctors are saying you're going to recover. Yep. No real long-lasting effects other than the memories of the, the, of the attack. Yeah, the tendons were kind of questionable. The, there was, the muscle in my forearm was ripped in like three different pieces, and so he kind of stitched all the muscle back together and reattached the tendons. But it was like hamburger in there, and it just ripped up so bad he was having a hard time getting a good solid point of attachment. So they gave me a brace to put on my, my arm, 
that would keep my wrist turned back up and my fingers up just so I wouldn't put any pressure and tear that out until it healed well. So I had to wear that brace 24-7 for six weeks and just till we had a good, you know, sure that everything was good and solid in there. And then a lot of rehab. I had like three or four months of three or four days a week of rehab, just every day going in there trying to get motion back in my hand and my wrist and fingers to work and be able to to move them and all you know, in separately, independently moving my fingers and grabbing things and picking things up. And it was a slow process to get all that hmm. to come back, just the, the amount of nerve damage. And I still don't have any feeling in my forearm here. It's all numb. And then right up here where my arm was broke, when I, when I touch right there, I can feel it down in my fingertips. So it's really <laughs> weird just from the nerve damage still. But everything's working pretty good. I mean, it's, it's a little slower. I can't quite open my hand all the way. I don't have all the strength there. I've got a pretty good hole in my arm where the muscle is just shredded that just never healed up well. I just no muscle there anymore. And so I, it's, it's not 100%, but I'm doing most everything I need to do, and yeah. I, I don't even think about it anymore. What about the, uh, the grizzly? Like what? Well, what, the, what happened to her? The Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, Fish and Game, and the Grizzly Interagency, you know, study, uh, Grizzly Bear Study Team went back in, I believe, the next day on horses. And as far as I know, they did not see her at all. And so she's probably still out there. And I think about that every time I go back in the woods in that country. It's like, is she going to, you know, bears have the best sense of smell of any of the animals out there. So if she's a couple miles on the other side of the, the canyon or up the canyon, and the wind's carrying up there and she smells me, she's going to recognize that just as if I was there because her sense of smell is so good. So I was wondering, it's like, is she, that means she's going to come back to She'll finish me off memory, or is yeah. she like, I don't want to have anything to do with him. He didn't taste good and she's going to go the other <laughs> way. But I always think about that. So as far as I know, she's probably still, still out, out there. Yep. And did they ever, did you ever think about her age or, or her weight or her size? How much do you recollect? Yeah, you know, it's, it's to hard predict? to say when that's such yeah. a quick situation, but she was definitely a full-size bear, you know, yeah. and a, you know, a female grizzly might weigh up to 400 pounds, you know, three to 400 pounds for a big bear. So she was definitely big. And I remember she was just crushing me when she was on top of me, that weight. Wow. And just, you know, I was a rag doll picking me up and would literally just shake me back and forth and then like let go. And it, I would like roll like 10 feet and then I just roll back face down again, protecting myself. And so I was just a rag doll. I, had, I was helpless. Unbelievable. And, and I think I know the answer to this because it almost always is the same. You have no resentment towards the animal or or you know, no, grizzly I mean, bears she, in general. She was protecting her cubs. And, you know, in that situation, I think she was a little overprotective because they were 100 yards away and she actually left them and circled around to get my wind and then came in. But, you know, every, every bear is different. Some bear could tolerate you at 50 feet. Some won't, won't tolerate you at 100 yards, I guess. So she was more aggressive than any other, you know, bears I've been around. I've, I probably see a dozen bears every year, a couple grizzly and a lot of black bear. And usually they're going the other direction and they might run away or they walk away like whatever. It's just another person i don't care you know and she was definitely more aggressive and a little bit different but i don't uh i don't blame her for what she did i don't want to go out and get revenge on her or something and you know i do i do believe there should be some you know grizzly bear management there's been a lot more there's a lot more grizzlies out there than there used to be and a lot more people in the woods and i think we need to manage that population um if they do get go through with that and put out you know licenses i i have no desire to go shoot one i you know i can't afford it. Plus, I don't really care. It's not a big deal. I don't need revenge. And I don't need a grizzly bear. But uh, but I have nothing against uh, the hunting season. And you know, yeah. you know, as you know, it's meat in the freezer, still even a bear. That's right. Yep. Um, is there anything you would do different? Uh, looking back at it, the <clears throat> preparations you had. I mean, you were prepared. I was prepared. You know, I had 
you know, like a lot of people ask, well, you know, would you have pulled the pistol first instead of the bear spray? Yeah. And in my situation, so working for the Forest Service, I'm not allowed to, to carry a, a handgun because I'm not law enforcement. So all I have is bear spray for my protection. And so I've practiced and thought about that time and time again, year after year. And so that became muscle memory. So even though I had a pistol with me at that point, I didn't think about draw your pistol first. It was the, that muscle memory. I just pulled the bear spray just in case. And so, you know, had I drawn the gun, I'd have probably got off one or two shots. And like I said, it wasn't a quick draw, easy to get to bear gun. It, uh, you know, had a scope on it. So I could have barely see underneath the scope to shoot, you know, it would have been more of a point and shoot. And there's no guarantee you're going to do any damage to a bear with it. I mean, a 10 mm could kill a bear easily, but you got to hit it in the right spot. You know, yeah. you got to hit it in the brain or the spine to drop it in its tracks and the brains in the back half of uh, a bear skull. So, yeah. you know, a lot of muscle, a lot of hide. So that may not have helped. That may have made, might have made the bear more aggressive and she's now fighting for her life as well. The only thing I really could have done differently, which if I'd have been hunting like actual hunting season, I would have stopped at the edge of that meadow and like glassed and looked first before I stepped out because I don't want to surprise an elk or something that might be there feeding. And in this situation, I wasn't hunting and I was just trying to get, I was in a hurry to get up as high as I could above timberline at daylight. So I, I was probably 10 steps out into the, that opening before I saw her and it was too late. She saw me at the same time. So looking back, you know, I should have just been paying a little more attention going a little bit slower, stopped. I put, probably would have seen her, could have just stayed in the edge of the trees. She would have went on by, we have never had the encounter and, but then I wouldn't be here to meet you. So, (laughs) yeah, man. I mean, I think, (laughs) you you know, you're, you continue to hunt, obviously can you do Mm -hmm. what you love to do? Continue to spend time in the wilderness. Um, how has it changed how you act when you're when you're in bear country, I mean, you're obviously, like you said, probably a little bit more cautious, I would imagine. Yeah, it's definitely different. It definitely changed. You know, I, I knew that I needed to get back out there right away because my, my life is in the woods. My job, I'm working in the woods every day. Every weekend, I'm out there hiking, hunting, camping, doing something. I, I don't know what I would do without being in the outdoors. So I knew I had to get back out right away. So after, like the day after I got the brace off my arm, I still had four days of hunting season left. So I went out, had a buddy with me. Uh, two of the days and went out and actually went back to that same site right where the bear attack was and told, you know, stood in that, that location and told my buddy the story and uh, just knew that I had to get back out there and get over that fear. And it was definitely different. I think every day I'm out there that I don't get attacked, it's, it's, it's a little bit better, but I'm more anxious uh, out there. My head's kind of on a swivel. I'm always paying attention. It's like if I if there is a bear in the area, I really want to see it and back out of that situation yeah. instead of having a counter again. Yeah. And it's I remember the first day of that next spring back at work with the Forest Service, and I was uh, heading up to the trailhead, and a sow grizzly and a cub ran across the trail in front of me, and I was in the vehicle still right before the trailhead, and she stopped at like 50 yards and stood up and looked at me and then took off, and I remember the rest of that day, I was just like on edge. It was like, I was just sweating, anxious, like, oh my God, just a reminder that this could happen any day. You know, people are like, oh, it'll never happen again. You know, you got attacked twice. You could, it's once in a lifetime, but you're in that situation every day in bear country for work for play it's just the odds you know it may not happen for 20 years or ever it may happen the next time i'm out there you just don't know so yeah. it's just a reminder that you have to be ready you have to be prepared you know i'm i'm always have a pistol that's you know i carry a 44 magnum revolver or 10 mm that i can get to quickly now that doesn't have a scope on it you know <laughs> and uh just in just in case always have the bear spray and just i try to tell people it's like take your headphones off or your earbuds out and pay attention and watch up in front of you. 
watch ahead of you so you can see what's coming or hear something coming so you're not surprised and, and know how to use your bear spray. Practice pulling it out of the holster. If you have an old bear spray or get the inert bear spray and yeah. practice shooting it and see what it feels like to actually squeeze the trigger on the thing. And if you use a handgun for your safety, make sure you're efficient with it and you know what you're doing because you never know when you get in a situation. It, it can happen to you and yeah. it happens quick. <laughs> well, the other thing I imagine would be the understanding of the animal, right? Understanding of the grizzly sure. bear. Yeah, like bear what behavior, what, bear safety. What's bear trying to do? What's that bear trying to do? Being able to read its its activity and, and realize it's trying to eat me and kill me or it's trying to defend its cubs. Like, how would right. you tell people to kind of think through that? After yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the bear behavior, when that bear first sees you, what is it doing? Is it like, is it curious and wants to come see what you are? Is it recognize you and just kind of like, okay, I'm going to wander off? Or is it scared and runs away? You know, that's the best situation. It's gone. <laughs> yeah, you know, it doesn't gone. like people. It's used to people. It's seen them before. So, and then also bear identification, whether it's a black bear, whether it's a small black bear, a young black bear, and he's probably going to run and he's scared of you, whether it's a big old grizzly that's like, you know, he's the king of the woods and you're not going to scare him off, you know. So yeah. knowing that bear identification, what to do, paying attention and, you know, and where, where did that bear go? Did it run over the ridge and now it's circling behind me? Or, you know, pay attention, even though that bear left, it's like be watching your back because you never know. <laughs> oh, yeah, you never know. I think that's it. That goes to another thing I was thinking about prior to our conversation was I'm new to Montana. I'm from Maryland. I lived in Texas. Nowhere I've lived has there been grizzly bears. I've been around them on hunts around the country, but have I've never lived in a place where I had access to grizzly country on a right. daily, weekly basis in a place where I'd want to go hunting. That was a reality. I've got a little kid, you know, that sure. So there's that, but there's also the non-resident that comes to Montana who wants to hunt the country you're in, who wants to go hunt the Madison Valley, who wants to go up Bear Trap Canyon and run around and do these types of things mm -hmm. where they're going to invariably, you know, either encounter a grizzly or be in, in, in a place where that's happening. And how do you think through that for all these new people who are moving to Bozeman, <laughs> and all these well, I think new most, folks like me? You know? Yeah, I think so many of them just, you know, they pull into town and like, oh, I'm in bear country and they stop at Bob Ward's or, you know, Sportsman's Warehouse and they go, oh, where's your bear spray? Okay, good. Got it. You know, and they throw it in the back seat and they go get the rest of their gear and they head up there and they're like, okay, where's your, oh, yep, there's my bear spray. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'll just clip that on the side of my backpack over here behind my shoulder, you know, where I can get to it if I need it, you know? And it's like, you can't get to it over here. You're trying to reach over your shoulder to grab. I see so many people hiking with bear yeah. spray hooked on their backpack somewhere. And it's like, I keep it right here where I can look down and see it. And if something hangs up, I can still get to it. I can. Well, again, if you take, if you're running a pack and you take your pack off and set it down and you're going to gut an animal or you're yep. going to your whatever you're doing handling meat or whatever you're now removed from right if you if you have it hooked on like a backpack strap or on a waist or something like that you know if you do take your pack off then take the bear spray or your pistol off and hook it to yourself too like you're yeah. saying so you need that with you all of a sudden something attacks you and you, yeah. you're separated from your pack and yeah fhf gear has the only one i've ever used mm -hmm. that the the holster that yep. mount, a side holster than the one that amounts to your that amounts to your bino harness so there's those options but again i mean we have guys in this office yanni patelis and steve ranella who got it who got uh, attacked in right. Fognac island and, and they'd say hey we were separated from yep. our defense one of their main learnings um what do you think about solo hunting in grizz country and like what what should someone is there a level of hunting experience and wilderness experience to 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 go and venture alone well of course, you know, the more people, the better in numbers, you're going to, you're safer, yeah. you know, but a lot of people don't hunt that way. I've never hunted with somebody. I'm always by myself. So I'm, and I'm back out there by myself in bear country, 
but a guy's got to be prepared as far as, you know, what are you going to use for safety? And like we talked about bear behavior and bear awareness and knowing all of that before you get into the woods, I think it's good to have some kind of a background in first aid and just knowing that, okay, is that you know, how bad am I bleeding? You know, you're, if you have to assess your wounds, can I, do I know how to bandage myself up? Can I, do I have the stuff with me? Do I have duct tape that I can tape some sticks around my arm or my leg if I need to have a broken limb and I need to hike out? Yeah. So I think some first aid, wilderness backcountry type first aid is great. Having that bear awareness, bear safety, general knowledge of animals and their behavior is great. And just survival in the backcountry, knowing what to take with you. You know, that's a big thing. It's like, okay, you've got your backpack. What do you have in your backpack? You know, besides candy bars or whatever, that's maybe that's all someone might carry. Snickers. A bunch of Snickers, you know, but it's like, there's more you might need. Like, you know, your duct tape, you always need that. You know, there's different things. If I'm incapacitated from an attack or I fell off the mountain and broke my leg or whatever, and I got to spend a night or two up here, do I have something to start a fire? Do I have dry clothes, you know, a dry fleece top or gloves or a hat or uh, I fall on the creek and I'm soaking wet. What do I do? It's cold out. You know, there's all those things that go with backcountry wilderness survival and just being able to, to live out there for days on end if you need to. And that's yeah. something that people should, should read about, be, know what they need to take, talk to people about or take a class or something. So you're aware of what there is and then get out there and actually use it. Get out and in the woods and put yourself in a situation and just pretend. I remember, I remember when I was a kid and I would go hiking in the woods and I would randomly just stop and I'd be like, okay, if I was hurt right here, can I build a fire? And yeah. I would actually, a couple of times I would just like close my eyes, take a few steps, stop, sit down and then leave my eyes closed even and be like reaching under like branches and trying to find like dry tinder and dry sticks and then i'd be like okay and then try to build a fire within my reach like if i could not move at all can i build a fire right here anywhere in the woods i used to practice that oh, a i lot very much I remember kid. the first fire <laughs> i remember the first fire i ever built i remember uh-huh. getting a bunch of little twigs and putting them in the thing yeah. and then getting find a little like magazine that was wet and trying to light it with a lighter and thinking like <laughs> Dude, <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of. Things. I'm a suburban kid at that, at that point. There's a lot of things that you need to practice and to, to look into and to have some knowledge before you're out there in bear country or in the woods in general. I mean, yeah, the weather can change in a hurry, and it might be like the I like people hike the M up here up to oh, the, yeah. the College M right above town. There'll be a hundred vehicles in the parking lot and there's dogs and kids and strollers and puppies and and i've actually been up at the m before and turned around started hiking down and had a bear coming up the trail yeah. towards me a black yeah. bear and he just came off the hill didn't know there was a bunch of people around hit the trail started coming up all of a sudden he sees me i got a picture of him he turns runs back up the hill and 30 seconds later here comes a couple girls with a puppy coming up the trail i'm like don't want to scare you but there was a bear here one minute ago and just keep track of your puppy. And they're like, okay, I think we'll turn around, you know, and they left, but you never know where that can happen. A mountain lion or a bear or whatever the situation might be. Yeah. I mean, we were very much, we're doing a lot of work here at Mediator on that, like practical, not survivals, like I said, not survival skills, but practical survival, mm-hmm. like getting back to the truck, you know, not, yeah. not bear girls being able to jump off a waterfall. And land. <laughs> like, yeah, don't jump off waterfalls. That's not a good thing. Or jump do. out of a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty, this, the practical way. And, we thought a lot about hey, we like gas station survival. If you if you're going on a day trip and you stop at the gas station, like wait, I don't have a lighter, I don't have a this, I don't have, mm-hmm. I don't have this, this, and this. There's there's so many things that you can carry and and ways that you can approach 
you know, practical survival just sure. to make sure Absolutely. that you always have these things on you. Yep. And so it's, have, it's super interesting. I have all that stuff in my truck. I yeah. just like, like three or four of everything in my truck under the seat and behind here and in this cubby hole. And it's like, uh, so no matter where I go, I've got something. If like, I'm going to go here and I end up at the trailhead, I'm like, okay, I have it in this pack and I have this oh. over here and I just load it all up and I'm ready to go. I always, I always I, have yeah. it with you. I mean, there's just certain things for me. I have like a Pelican case that mm-hmm. has all my backup stuff in my truck, but then I've always got my medical kit and, and other things that I know I have. I, for whatever reason, I'm always, even if it's summertime, I always carry hot hands. I always carry like hand warmers because <laughs> they're light right? and you can st- shove them in a spot. And for whatever reason, if you're cold, yep. you can warm you up you a little bit. Them. I always Absolutely. have a fire starter. I always have a lighter. Those, yep. those types of things. I always put lighters in different spots around, mm-hmm. again, in case you lose your pack. So there's a bunch of that that goes on that that I find as much interesting as anything else. Absolutely. Um, yep. Always have your Skyblade knife on you. Well. Always have. <laughs> Skyblade.com. Is that it? Skybladeknives.com. Skybladeknives.com. Yep. Um, so I got a couple of segments I want to do with you. Um, the first one is perfect because it's called What's in Your Pack. But it, in this case, we're going to change it to What's in Your Medical Kit because I feel like that leads right into what we were talking about. Um, what do you carry today in your medical kit? What's it look like? You know, what is it and what's it? You know, okay. Uh, what exactly um, all is in that thing? For my medical kit, if I'm just out for the day, I'm I'm very basic. Basically, I have duct tape. <laughs> I love that. Dude, we were talking about that the other day. The yep. uses for duct tape. <laughs> duct tape can work for just about anything. You could have worked in the bear attack. You could have just yeah, I could, taped yeah, your tape head my, back together. my head back together, my scalp back up. Uh, I think duct tape is very important. I carry, you know, I carry a few bandages in case you just have, you know, some minor cut or something and it's just irritating all day, but you can still, a little toilet paper and duct tape does the same thing. So that's usually what I'll carry. Um, I've got some of that, I don't know what the heck it's called, but it's like that, that stretchy kind of horse wrap stuff that you see them wrapping like horses legs oh, yeah, with yeah, and they use yeah. that for medical stuff too. I have a keep a roll of that in my pack because if you get some kind of a wound, that stuff can just wrap really tight around itself and it's, you know, it's still flexible. It can also stabilize well. a lot of yep. things, yeah. Yep. Yep. yep, so I carry that, but pretty minimal stuff really as far as my first aid kit. More of it's... Uh, uh, you know, I know that I can, I'm going to get out of the woods. I just got to tape the, stop the bleeding. So it's like some minimal type thing to stop the bleeding or to put a, a bandage around something or a splint on a leg or an arm and get myself out of the woods. And it stays that way. Even if you're like, Hey, I'm going on a six day backpack trip. It stays that light. Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's for like a week, I'll just maybe add a, a little bit more of the same kind of stuff or just make sure I've got enough. Um, but you know, the, the longer you're on a backpacking trip, the lighter you want to be too. So yeah. I don't want to get too much in there. I'm, make I'm me a feel pretty like minor a- when it comes to medical stuff. I'm like, this is this will help me survive, but yeah. I'm, it may not be comfortable. But it'll get me out of the woods. My wife one time, she was looking. She discovered that I had a medical kit and mm-hmm. was looking what was in there. And I remember her looking in. Then I remember the next hunt I went in and I needed to get something out of there, a Band-Aid or something. And I opened it up and there was like disinfectant lotions and shit that she had put in there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's, no, I've that's have, about I have right. a big medical kit in my truck. Yeah. You know, when you're, you need to get back to a truck or if you're car camping or something. But on myself, yeah, fairly minimal. Um, if I'm camping like for a week, I might have some kind of first aid ointment or something like that in case you do get something that's a little more comfortable for five or six days out there in the desert when you can put something else on there, you know, as well. Oh, good. Um, the only other, you know, I think we've learned a lot about this attack and then um, kind of the aftermath of it, which mm-hmm. was a lot of attention, but I'll learn a little bit more about you. So we've got another segment called First Timers where we're going to ask you like some firsts in your life. We won't get too personal, like first love or first, we won't go there. <laughs> More hunting related, but like first, first rifle. 
what was it and who gave it to you? My first rifle. My first rifle was a Winchester Model 94 30-30 lever action that my grandpa that gave me when fantastic. I was just a kid. And I had it for a couple of years before hunting season. And I remember right before, about a week before hunting season, we went out to sight it in and realized that it was just open sights at this point. And the front post on it had been broke off clean and it looked like it was a regular front sight, but it had been broke off. So we're shooting and everything was shooting really high because the front sight was broke off. So we tried to find, and my dad tried to find a front sight for this old Model 94 and we couldn't find anything around Bozeman or Ennis, you know, 40 years ago. So we're and here in Bozeman, like at a hardware store, and the guy's like, no, we don't have anything like that. But he's like, I know a guy with a 270 for sale out in Belgrade. And so it's like pretty cheap. He's moving or something. So we drove out to this guy's house, and we're like, huh, here's this. It was a J.C. Higgins Sears and Roebuck Ooh. Uh, 270 rifle. People don't remember and, the Sears and Roebuck. Uh, no, and it was it had a... A Mauser action on it, so it's oh, a really wow. good action and everything, action. you know. And he wanted a hundred bucks for it with a two to seven power Redfield scope and a sling and like two boxes of shells. So I never actually hunted with the thirty thirty because we couldn't find a sight before hunting season for it. So my first rifle I started hunting with was the two seventy. So how long did you hunt with it? Uh, I still have it. I hunted with oh, it wow. until I started uh, bow hunting and pistol hunting. So I, well, I started bow hunting when I was fourteen, and. Uh, Shot an elk in high school, nice six point bow with my bow, and then I got into well, I, I got into snowboarding, dislocated my shoulders snowboarding. Uh, quick story, and so then I couldn't pull the bow. So I'm yeah. like, okay, I need to do something besides going back to the rifle because that was pretty easy to hunt with. So I went to pistol hunting. So I've been pistol hunting for 30 years now, and have shot 28 bull elk with a wow. handgun. And what ca- are you using 10 millimeter for that? No, I, I shot uh, 27 of them with a 44 Magnum. Yeah. It's yeah. a Ruger Super Red Hawk revolver, nine oh. and a half inch barrel, got a scope. One of the then, first pistols I ever shot as a little tiny kid. Oh, yeah. Was, was, I don't know, my neighbor, <laughs> I think my neighbor would have given that to me or handed it to me at the range, pull the trigger on this thing. I was like 12 <laughs> years old. I was a tiny human. Oh, yeah. Didn't work out. So I shot uh, most of them with that. And then the last. A uh, bull that I shot with a pistol was with the 10 mm. The one yeah. I was carrying that day actually yeah. had a, a scope on that as well. So, well, that leads me to the other first time thing. First elk. Let's hear that story. So you, first you elk. alluded to it. Okay, but, so uh, I hear the 12, full tale. Twelve years old, and opening day, Saturday opening day of uh, hunting season, and I was with my dad, and we hiked up on the mountain, and he's like, "Okay, the strip of timber. I'm going to kind of circle around the backside and see if there's any elk in here, and you just kind of hang out along the edge where you can watch." And so I just kind of on a little stand there, and opening day of my first year of hunting, I hunted with my dad a lot, you know, yeah, just hi- following him. But this is actually where I could kill something, and that's a big and, deal, right? Because oh, yeah. I had the same thing, like hunting my dad a little bit. You never got a rifle, you never got to hold the rifle, and then, yep, you yep. F- it's like then, the first okay, time it. you get you know, to do it. You're man. sitting there watching, like, okay, what's going to happen? And all of a sudden, dad had made this circle through the trees, and like four or five elk came out. One of them was a really, a really large five by five bull. And he came out at about a hundred yards in front of me and I put a couple of rounds into him and dropped him dead right in the opening there. And so another 15 minutes later, he came back out and we were able to actually had an old Jeep trail that came down the ridge right there and able to back up and throw it in the back of the Land Cruiser Jeep. Like, oh, you were thinking, we had this hunting buddy. thing? Know, this hunting thing is easy. That was opening day. And then, the, so we got that home pretty easily and then the, got it hung up. And the next morning, Sunday, second day, and we went back kind of a same, similar, kind of the same area, within a, a mile of the same area, and hiking with my dad, and his nice buck comes out on the ridge, and dad looks at it, he's like, ah, it's about 300 yards, kind of uphill, it's a long shot, he's like, do you want to chance it? And I'm like, I'll try it. He's like, okay, hold, 
he's like, hold right above its neck. So you're going to hit it in the neck and kill it, or you're going to miss it. I don't want to wound it, you know? And so I remember just holding above its neck and squeeze the trigger off and it just fell dead in its tracks and shot as a 24 inch, uh, five by five muley, 24 oh, inches man. wide. So the first first weekend I'd killed my bull and my, <laughs> and my buck. And I remember going back to school on Monday morning and, you know, everybody's like, Oh, did you get out hunting? It's like, yeah, I got out and oh, filled, yeah. filled both my tags. And everybody's like, Oh, you know, wow. How'd you do that? You know? <laughs> and I just felt like, Oh, that was easy. And then, you know, I learned years later that it's not always that easy. I was just lucky the first year. Oh, <laughs> I had to yeah. put a lot of time in to get them after that. I had the opposite. <laughs> I had the opposite experience. I very much, I missed, I think like three or four deer with, I mean, I was hunting with a, a two seventy, I mm-hmm. think. Now I forget. Now I'm saying it. Something with a, a center fire rifle. I missed the first three deer. The fourth deer, my buddy had reloaded. My next door neighbor, that was was kind of my hunting mentor, was reloading cartridges. I pulled the trigger and click, nothing. I had uh, a you know nice little four point buck just standing right in front of me. Right. I'm a little kid. I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> I was. I remember leaning over a log and I was looking at this deer through the scope, like, oh, this, this is it, it, man. Click, yep. nothing. Oh, bummer. And then I said. I was, you know, 12 and I said, oh shit. And the deer saw that and turned off and ran. <laughs> and so it turned out that the log that I was laying across was then for forever for then on called the shit log. <laughs> so I ended up over the oh, years, killed a lot of deer over the shit log. Okay. Well, that's but, good. Uh, you it was it. ever named the shit log <laughs> for years after that. Um, what, uh, what else for first? That first, what's your first truck? First vehicle. That's a good one. That's always a good story. My first vehicle, uh, I was in high school and the neighbor, had this old Plym- uh, 1975 Plymouth Grand Fury. Oh, yeah. It was, a, it was a law ex-law enforcement car and had like an Idaho law enforcement sticker on it. And it was like the gold color with the white vinyl top oh, kind of yes. thing. And it's like the big boat. You know, it had a 360 Chrysler engine in it. And it was a, <laughs> an old auction. He got it from a government auction for, and sold it to me for 500 bucks. Oh, that's perfect. And so being in high school and you got this you know, this like car that's just so much, so much power, you know? <laughs> and so I had the whole trunk full of all my camping gear and all my guns and everything in the back seat. had lots of room in that thing, like a pickup to haul stuff around, but that Go was camping. my first vehicle. And then I, I got some uh, V-bar chains for the back and I chained that thing up and I could go just about anywhere a pickup to go because I had so much power and you know, it was a heavy vehicle. I could see you, you rolling know? down a two-track <laughs> so, road. Oh, yeah. Then. Yeah. So that was my first vehicle. Was that a lady but, killer? The ladies like that vehicle? They did, yeah. Yeah, they did. Good. I always start by saying like I I drove a van, drove a van for a while. So there's nothing you could say. <laughs> no, if I would we'll show just you the picture of this fucking we'll van. If I would show you a picture of this fucking van, you'd be like, "There's nothing worse <laughs> yeah. than a 16 year old driving this." It's a little creepy. Yeah. yeah, it's very creepy. A lot of like I said, a lot of room for camping and sleeping. Yeah. But not a lot of room. Yeah, for being so that was cool. my first vehicle. But then after like a year or two, I was like, okay, I need a four wheel drive. And my dad had had a Toyota Land Cruiser Jeep, and so I decided I need a Land Cruiser Jeep as well because they'll go over through anything. So I went and bought a like a yeah, it was a nineteen seventy, it was a seventy five or some seventy six Land Cruiser Jeep, one of the blue ones oh, you yeah. see around the classics, and had that for a few years and. Couldn't afford that. Had to go to a Subaru for a while, and now I've been a pickup guy for the last twenty years. Well, so. regardless, you're you're living in <laughs> in what I would call God's country. Oh yeah, absolutely. Boy, it's, yeah, it's my first first winter here. It's snowing right now. Yes, in it Bo, is. Bo's man uh, in <laughs> April or yep. whatever it is. Um, but it's 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 been great to chat with you. I think again, I think you're a part of maybe the most famous modern you know, recorded bear attack. No, it's uh, not how I wanted to get famous. That's but, what I figured. Uh, so there'd been some positive so. sides, you know, thanks to it. I've, you know, I've went from like not wanting to 
do any kind of talking to not having any problem sitting down now and been on a few yeah, so how, shows. How many times you figure you told this story that, it, that we oh, just it, a lot of 500 times at Holy least shit. more. Yeah, times. Probably wow. done, maybe done like 30, 30, 40 interviews, but uh, I've told, yeah, so many people over the, over a beer. This, this exact <laughs> story. The story. Well, yep. we're like, that's why I'll, I'll get to get people excited. The 501st time Todd has <laughs> told. That's right. Right here. His bear attack story right here on the hunting collective. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Todd, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. All right, brother. That's it. That's all. Another episode of the podcast in the books. Thanks to Todd Orr. Thanks to Giannis Patelis. Uh, thanks to all you bears out there. Uh, we do love you. We do love you, even though you attack us every once in a while. But a good podcast. And again, thanks to everyone who listened and commented on last week's episode which was Ryan Callahan talking about his love life. That seemed to be popular. Uh, Cam Haynes talking about social media and the Adam Green Street poaching case and all those other things. We love the new format, the new music. Um, hope you love it too. And we're going to keep on rolling. Uh, keep adding new partners. Uh, keep adding awesome guests. And next week, we're going to be joined by Miles Nolte of the Media Crew and also Hal Herring, who's a writer, conservationist, and a host of the BHA podcast as well. So you're going to like what Hal has to say next week. So stick around with that next Tuesday. We'll see you. Bye. Jack Daniels, old number seven. Tennessee whiskey got me drinking in heaven. And angels start to look good to me. They're going to have to deport me to the fiery deeps. Oh, to the fiery You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.